0: We're the commentary on chapter number one of the book of Acts. We're going to go through the entire book of Acts. So this is going to be rapid pace. I will not cover the major, major things that everybody in here already is aware of. Like they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We all know that I'm going to cover the things that we may not be aware of or things that need to be given emphasis, not concentrating on things you already know because everybody that is here teaches the word and knows the word. Ta- uh, chapter number 1, verse number 1, the Gospel of Luke, is also addressed to the same person. His name is Theophilus. His name means friend of God or loved by God. Um, the person of Theophilus, we do not know who he was, but in those days it was very common if you were going to be writing any kind of a work a poetry, a work of history, any kind of chronology, that you would find a patron who would sponsor you. So it is possible that this man was uh, the patron of Luke. That's only a guess because we know it was common to do it back in those days. Okay, so historically it could have been a patron, but we do not know. But we know he was loved by God by his name. The final words of Jesus, verse number two, until he is taken up. He is ascended later in the chapter. He gives command through the Holy Spirit. Notice that he is now in resurrection, immortal body, it is a body that you can see and touch and who, if he wanted to, could eat, though he did not not food. It, he did not need food for sustenance, but he did eat with the disciples in the Galilee. And uh, food was not necessary for him. He's in, in his eternal spiritual body, the same as you will be in your spiritual body when you're raised from the dead. For the body that you continually um, inhabit, this tent that you inhabit now, you will take upon yourself a spiritual body at the point of the resurrection. If you were to die before the resurrection, you would have a soulish body that is just the same as your soulish body, but it is not your resurrected body. Your resurrected body awaits the return of Jesus. So you will, you'll be, the Bible says, whenever you're without this tent, you will have another tent as you're not some amorphous spirit floating around in the air. You're not some kind of a a soulish entity that people can bring back in a seance. You're in the presence of Jesus, and you are known as you were known. <laughs> Amen. And consequently, your fellowship is not as in a disembodied spirit, though it is not your physical body. But at the point of the resurrection, you will have a spiritual body. This body will be resurrected. I don't care if it's ashes. I don't care if you were eaten by a shark. <laughs> Every atom of your body has already been determined by God. Every single atom in your body is known by God. And the one who will destroy everything with fervent heat knows where your atoms are and knows how to collect them. Mm -hmm. So you will have a resurrected body. That's your spiritual body. Same as Jesus had. I love it that eternity is not weird. (laughs) I love it that eternity is going to be normal. And if you want to hear my opinion, I'm happy to give you my opinion. Uh And that is that we will not be spending eternity in heaven. We will be spending eternity on earth because the new heavens and the new, and the new earth after the old has passed away and God establishes the new, the new Jerusalem comes from God out of heaven to this earth. So if you want to go to heaven, go now. Right. Because God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit will all inhabit the new Jerusalem, which will not be in heaven, but will be on earth. Okay. And how many know that the things that God created in the first place will still be part of eternity? Are you aware of that? Because the lion and the lamb will lie down together. There will be no more carnivorous animals, and the child will put his hand on the on the hole of the viper and will not be bitten because there will be no more. There will no be no more satanic activity ever in the New Jerusalem. Or outside of the New Jerusalem and there's an inside and the outside and your home is on the inside so the New Jerusalem is where God will be and he will tabernacle among us as Jesus tabernacled among us John 1 14 God himself Revelation 21 3 will tabernacle also among us that's kind of good news I don't know about you but that's good news I would rather not be thought of as spending eternity in heaven sitting on a cloud, plucking a harp. To me, that does not sound interesting. But the New Jerusalem sounds interesting, and there will still be nations, because the Bible says the nations will come in and out. There will still be trees. There will still be a river. There will still be verdancy. There will still be seasons, but everything changes in the New Jerusalem. So that is completely divergent whenever I started telling you about the spiritual body of Jesus. The point I was making in verse 2 is that Jesus himself, even post-resurrection, was still entertaining the Holy Spirit. He spoke as a commandment of the Holy Spirit to the disciples in verse number 2. Verse number 3, much of his time is spent in Galilee, and guess what he's teaching on? Anybody want to give me a response? The kingdom of God. Every sermon in every village, Matthew 4, 23, Matthew 9, 35, every sermon in every village at every place he ever went was on the kingdom of God. That is your message as well, and you're to pray daily, the kingdom come. Amen. The Bible is not a church book, it is a kingdom book. Amen. The church is who you are, the kingdom is what you do. The kingdom is what you do when you get outside the church to let people know that the king has arrived and they can be born again. That's how you get into the kingdom. And that's how others are introduced to the kingdom is by being born again. And salvation and healing are all part of salvation. All part of salvation. The Bible, when the Bible talks about salvation, sozo, it has so many aspects. You were saved, you're being saved, you shall be saved. Sozo also means healed. So when it talks about somebody saved, it means healed. And it means your emotions it means the whole package. I love Todd White. still rings in my ears. He said, it's not a twelve-step program. it's a one point, it's a one-step program called salvation. And it includes all redemption. <laughs> called, it includes the blood covers everything. How <laughs> to you know when Jesus took your sins, he also took your diseases. Right. And he also took your infirmities, which means your weaknesses. The word infirmities, asthenia, means weakness. It doesn't mean a disease. We talk about them as the same. They are not. There is not a physical thing called an asthenia. It is a weakness. Your weaknesses, your propensities to do dumb stuff, God already knew that. He took that. Those things that I just don't understand, he's got that one covered. At times I doubt, he's got you covered. At times I didn't have faith, he's got you covered. He's got all of your weaknesses, and the Spirit knows what you don't even know to pray for. So Romans 8, 16, He prays for things you don't even know to pray for because we got weaknesses. He knows our asthenia. He took upon Himself your weaknesses. Hallelujah. How many have a weakness? Thank God He took it. Is that right? You all have weaknesses in certain areas. Thank God He took it. Hallelujah. We're, we need another shout down around here somewhere. Verse number four, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit was spoken by Jesus first in Luke 24, 49. He said, stay in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Wait another 10 days. Well, when Jesus said that, it was another 50 minus 3. But stay in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, because the Father has promised the Holy Spirit so this is repeated again by Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse number 33. Verse 6-7, Jesus is responding to the disciples' question. He does not deny the coming kingdom. He does delay it. They said, is a good kingdom? Are you going to restore Israel right now? He never says no. Because Paul says he will. How many know that Israel will be saved? All Israel will be saved. By the way, any doctrine that discounts Israel as part of God's economy and God's plan and God's revelation, if it makes Israel as non-important to God's eternal plan, immediately discounted. Right. That is false doctrine. Mm-hmm. False doctrine. All I have to know is, well, church has replaced Israel. No, the church has never replaced Israel. I, I don't know if you've been... If you've heard that doctrine, but if you hear it, it's immediately false. It does not square with the word of God. It does not square at all with the word of God. We are not the replacement for Israel. Anybody want to say an amen to that? Verse number eight, power dunamis. We know that. What about witnesses? If you're going to be a witness for Jesus, that's the word. uh, Where we get our word martyr, martyria, the Greek word, that's a... If, a, if you want to be a witness for Jesus in the New Testament, you would be killed. So, do you want to be a witness for Jesus? Do you want to be a witness for Jesus? Whenever Nero burned at his instigation the city of Rome in 64 AD, rather than let everybody know that he burned the city, he took Christians and made them living torches, doused them, with oil and lit them on fire, they became the torches that lit the city of Jerusalem uh, the city of Rome in that in that horrible infamy. That horrible persecution by Nero, Domitian also did the same thing. Horrible, horrible, horrible. They were tortured in every kind of unimaginable way. They had to start living underground. And one of our World Connects several years ago, we had a man whose name was changed so that we would not divulge his, his his identity, was from North Korea and had a ministry in North Korea. He lived in Los Angeles at the time and we gave him a, a pseudonym so that nobody would know him because he was ministering in North Korea. If you're a Christian in North Korea, you will be, you will be killed. So they, in, in excavating a new, he told the story at one of our World Connects, He said, they excavated a new highway, and so the bulldozers and the graders came in, leveled out the road to make a new highway. When they did, it uncovered the tunnels of hundreds of Christians who had spent their lives in the tunnels underground. So they took all of the Christians who had never seen the light of day, the children who had never seen the light of day that had lived for decades underground, they took them, laid them down on on the road, and then rode over them with the the steamrollers. They literally crushed him into the road, into the pavement. The, The persecution that is happening today, I don't know how God can bring America around without persecution. He can. He can do anything. But we have no knowledge of persecution. We have no knowledge. of We don't know what it's like. We do not know what it's like. But right now, it's very, very dangerous in many, many countries of the world. Very dangerous to be a Christian extremely dangerous a friend of mine in India opened up his shirt and showed me he was raised Muslim there's a bullet hole right here he said when I told my dad I, I I got saved was a Christian now he said his dad said I have a I have a surprise for you and pulled out a gun and shot him <laughs> trying to kill him Trying to kill him in the in the heart and the bullet missed and shot him in the shoulders and his father was eventually saved as well before he died the testimony, the testimony, of, of what God is doing globally. Jesus, help us to understand the price that was paid, even to get this book. The people who lost their lives to give us this book. Prem Pradhan, a man that we supported years ago. I picked him up from the airport one day. He's from Nepal, because if you if you Witness about Jesus, you get a year in prison. If you baptize anybody, that's an automatic three years in prison. I picked him up from the airport, and I I said, I'll carry your Bible. He said, no, I, I only carry my Bible myself. And with his Bible, he had gripped his Bible. All of his hands were gnarled. The reason his hands and his fingers were gnarled is because he had been hung by his thumbs. He had been hung by his hands. He had been tortured. Year after year after year because he had baptized people. You know, what people have gone through for the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is a crown for them that is not the normal crown for everybody else. There is a martyr's crown. So the word martyr means I was a witness. I was a firsthand witness. I saw it. So for all of those that were able to testify, they became martyrs. I saw Jesus. So it was not a, for those who were not first century were not actually there like the disciples. Those that were there because they had had an encounter with Jesus, they still gave a witness to the martyrdom. So in, in uh, Revelation 12, we, can, we quote it often, but we only quote part of it. The accuser of the brethren who's been cast down, who, who accuses them day and night, we stop at that verse, who loved their lives, did not love their lives even to the point of death. We forget that next verse. Who counted their lives not dear to them. Verse number 10, two men in white robes. I want to mention this again. I've mentioned it before last year in particular. Is that angels are, we have a completely wrong theology of angels and it's because we see pictures from the, from the either the Renaissance or we see pictures that depict all these angels with wings. wings. There is no scripture in the Bible where angels have wings. Get rid of it. Get rid of it in your mind. Take it off your wall. These little fat cherubs with two wings. There's nothing in the Bible. Get rid of your fat cherubs. These are, there is no scripture in the Bible. Seraphim have six wings. Cherubim cherubim have, have four wings. Angels have zero wings, and they're generally seen as men. So here we have two men that are saying, that are announcing Jesus. They're in white robes these are the same two men most likely who were in the tomb because to the scriptures to the gospels say they were men to the gospels say they were angels what were they they were angels that looked like men because angels always have the man's appearance and i guarantee you those were the men that intermarried back there with the daughters of man these were the sons of god that intermarried the daughters of men back in the book of genesis producing these, these, um, yeah, these giants of the land, Nephilim. But, but, but whenever you see these two men, how often the Bible says, you know, they've entertained angels. How often do you see this? in the book of Acts. You know, if you go to jail, an angel's going to appear, deliver you. That was just normal. An angel's going to come and set you free. That was normal in the book of Acts. So at times God gives a vision. Sometimes God says angels, but they are, they look like men. They will not have wings. So if you may be entertaining, Hebrew says angels, and you don't even know it because they don't have wings. They don't have wings. So be careful how you treat those that are, that are uh, what should I say, strangers to you because they could be angels. Verse number 14, the disciples continually devoted themselves to prayer, which was something that they did not do in the Gospels. They slept through every single prayer meeting. (laughs) Four times Jesus prayed through the night. They slept every single time they were asleep when Jesus prayed through the night. No exceptions. So Jesus prayed, they slept. They never prayed. They said, how can you cast out demons if we don't? Mark 9, 29, he said, I pray and you don't how can you cast out demons I pray you don't pray now they're devoted to prayer that's why we know in Acts chapter 2 verse number 1 to 4 that's what they were doing for those 10 days that they were in the upper room as they were praying because they continually devoted themselves to prayer chapter 1 verse 14 chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 chapter 3 verse number 1 chapter 4 verse number 30 chapter 5 verse number 12 Chapter 6, verse number 6, chapter 7, it goes on and on, all the way through chapter number 14, skipping 15, and then going on to 16. They prayed, continually they prayed. Paul was on his way to the place of prayer when he met, met this woman by the name of Lydia. He was on his place of prayer. He is, he is worshiping God and praising in the Philippian jail. There's always prayer, all the way through the Bible is prayer. They continually devoted themselves to prayer. I want you to notice verse 15, God spoke through the mouth of David, I want you to know that God still does it through your mouth. I want you to know that. The Bible says in um 1 Peter chapter 4, my brain recalls verse 7, but I wouldn't guarantee it, I believe, let any man if any man speaks, let him do as if he were the logion of God. Logion is the voice of God, the word of God. If if you, you know, you hear people get up well, you know, I just I'm just I don't know if this is God or not. Well then don't speak. Don't speak. Ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to say and then say it. Because we speak as the voice of God. We speak as the mouthpiece of God. Not not suggesting everything we say is verbatim what God said. We don't believe that. But we do believe that whenever the Holy Spirit moves through you, who's he going to speak through? Most of the time he doesn't use donkeys. Most of the time, or maybe that would Maybe I could retract that and say he always does. But God is going to speak through a person. He can use angels. He can use visions. He can use dreams. Most of the time, he's going to speak through people because God is a relational God. Verse number 15 to 26, uh, the disciple is chosen, Matthias. And I want to make a correction here, a theological correction, if it is in your mind that Paul was the 12th Apostle. He was not. He is an Apostle born out of season. He's not counted among the 12. The Bible says before Paul was ever saved, Peter stood up with the 11, making 12. Paul was not one of the 12. He will not be the foundation stone of the New Jerusalem. He is not one of the 12. The Bible doesn't say he's one of the 12. He was one of the apostles born out of due season. That's what made him the outstanding apostle. The reason he was outstanding is because the other apostles had been baptized into Jerusalem Judaism. He was baptized into Jerusalem. He was born into Judaism, but instead of being part of the Jerusalem voice, God took him to Arabia. Paul would have been just another echo had God not removed him and set him aside, and his revelation came directly. He was one of those people you can say, I heard from God. I tell you, when you've heard from God like Paul heard from God, you can say, I heard from God. Yeah. Chapter number two, verse one, um, to verse number four, talks about uh, they were they were in the upper room, Here's the Temple Mount, here's the upper room. Just in proximity, there's just a couple miles between the two uh, if you were to be able to take a straight shot, not far at all. But, But we cannot guarantee that the upper room, especially where it is today, is the upper room of Jesus' day. There's no way to guarantee it because the building is not there. This is a crusaders' building. It was also, the crusaders happened... Around a thousand years after Christ, and it lasted for two hundred years. It's a Crusaders building as well as a Muslim mosque. And so they say that was the upper room that it was originally on the foundation of John Mark's house that became the uh, the upper room it means that a lot of the better homes always had an upper room. They would do that for their social gatherings, was a top room. And in ancient days, many times the lower rooms were kept for the animals. That's how they heated the upper rooms. You know, so anyway, the point is that there's a close proximity between the two, but we don't know because something happened so quickly after that phenomenon that led them to the multitudes, and this is the only place you could have had a massive crowd. That is the only place you could have had a massive crowd over there. So consequently, was he closer to the temple in a room that was, it was an upper room. Was that the home of John Mark where the Last Supper was held? We don't know. I wasn't there. So whenever you have, whenever you have this and this, though they're close, something happened that immediately they either walked out into the porch or, the, or spoke from the top level or something allowing the people in that temple area to hear the masses of crowd. And as I said, this holds 75,000 people. That area right there holds 75,000 people. So if you have this phenomenon on the day of Pentecost, they were all one place, one accord, one spirit, and the Holy Spirit blew in like a mighty rushing wind. Now, tongues of fire you may not have seen from the outside, but when you have a cyclonic wind blow through, it's a possibility that the phenomenon itself drew the people. In other words, like happened at William G. J. Seymour, it's a possibility that with that profound phenomenon, like tongues of fire and the cyclonic wind, that more than just that room would have noticed. You know what I'm saying? Or it could have been just in that room. But something happened now. Fifteen different nations, they hear the people speaking in their own languages. Fifteen different nations. So I want you to understand how profound this is. If you take 3,000 people and divide it by 15, or you take a larger group, we know 3,000 were saved. We know there's 120 people in the upper room. Start doing all of the divisions. 120 people in the upper room. How many languages they spoke were 15. Then the crowd that got saved, but a larger crowd. How phenomenal this would have been. And that God would choose the day of Pentecost when the, it's, 50, it's uh, 50 days after the Passover of Sabbath, the Sabbath Passover, 50 days later, which is the word Pentecost to the Greek, means uh, uh, Pentecost, means 50 days. 50 days after the Passover, 10 days after Jesus ascended, they've been praying for 10 days in the upper room. I think if you get everybody together to pray for 10 days nonstop, the Holy Spirit's gonna show up regardless. But the phenomenon of this happening where God maximized a Jewish celebration where hundreds of thousands of people would be coming into Jerusalem from all over the world. So God says, I'm going to wait till everybody gathers from all over the world. Then I'm going to give you all of the languages that is understood by the people of the world. <clears throat> so if you see on a map, he goes to the east, where we know is Iraq today, Iran today, Syria today, the, the uh, all of that, the area to the east and to the north, he, the people from that area, from Judea. Then it goes up to all of what we know as Turkey, and all we know as Asia Minor, and all of the Roman provinces, people from there, then to Rome, then to Cyprus, then to Crete, then to, down to Egypt. That is the whole known world has gathered together, and they hear them praising God in their own language and know that that person does not know my language. Now, we don't know about 120. We know about uh, the disciples themselves were from Galilee, uneducated, uneducated men. So that means that they had an ability that they never learned, and it was called the Holy Spirit. So God now reverses the Tower of Babel and brings unity through the Holy Spirit in diversity and speaking all of these languages, and they begin to speak the languages of people that they never, ever knew those languages, glorifying God. And then Peter says, these aren't drunk as you suppose. It is very early in the morning. These are drunk, but not as you suppose. <laughs> Hebrew word is Shavuot. Celebrates the giving of the law. Fifty days after they left Egypt, to celebrates the giving of the law was, was the, fe- the festival. In Exodus chapter 32, when the people broke the law, three thousand are slain. The giving of the law? in the book of Exodus, resulted in 3,000 people being killed. On the day of Pentecost, the giving of the law in the inside of the people resulted in 3,000 being saved. God always parallels, always brings things together. Everything matches something else. Everything God does, there's conformity and unity. Uh, We're going to um, go into chapter number two, Verse number two, verse number four. Let's see if we can finish with chapter two. Other tongues does not mean unlearned tongues. It means not, um, these are tongues that were known, but it doesn't mean unlearned. It just means they're unknown. The Temple Mount could accommodate 75,000. We talked about that. Peter's longest, most effective sermon. Next, verses 14 to 40. Jesus was handed over to the authorities. Now, I want to bring your attention to this verse, verse 23. Connected to 428, in your Bibles connected. Jesus was handed over to the authorities by the predetermined foreknowledge of God. The same thing is repeated by Peter in chapter 4, verse number 28. I'm going to get theological here on you, so hang tight. I'm going to get theological on you. You've got you to grasp this. Everything God does, He decides in advance. Wow. Okay, are you there? Yeah. You didn't get saved when you decided to. You got saved when God decided to. Jesus said, "You didn't choose me; I chose you." Wow. How many know that God chose you? Ephesians one four and Ephesians one five and predetermined you before you were ever born. Revelation thirteen eight. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before you were ever born. Revelation 17, 8, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before you were ever born. Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the earth, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20, but he was revealed in these last days. When was Jesus crucified? Before the foundation of the earth. When was the actuality? It was on the cross of Golgotha. God determined it from eternity, but God's determination then had to match Jesus' decision. Jesus fought that decision as anybody would if you have a will. How many know nobody volunteers to be hung on a cross with spikes being put through your hands? By the way, spikes were not put through his palms but through his wrists because the, the palm could not sustain it. So they, in excavating the crucified people, they've noticed that the palms could sustain the body. Uh, the wrist could, but the palms could not. It rips right out. So consequently, the crucified bodies that have been exhumed show the marks in the bones have been shattered right here in the wrist. Whenever, Whenever an individual comes to Jesus, they are then at some point having to say yes to what God determined. Because the predetermination of God will never cancel out the volition of men, neither will the volition of men cancel out the predetermined will of God. Are you there? Yes. So everything God decides, he decides in advance. Nothing happens that God has to wait until it happens to know. So the reason I'm telling you this is because the crucifixion of Jesus is the greatest illustration of a divine tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus had to submit his will to the Father, even though it was already determined from eternity, Jesus still had to say yes. Are we there? Somebody will try to challenge you with the doctrine, Arminianism, Calvinism. Are you a Calvinism? Are you an Arminian? I said, I don't go into those arguments. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Number one, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And if I had to choose between the two, I'd go for the sovereignty of God. If I had to choose, if they make me um, right now decide whether I would go for, I'll go for the sovereignty of God, God wins. How many know that God wins? There used to be a statement years ago that says, if God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? It's not true. If God says it, whether you believe it or not, it settles it. Are you there? That's good. That's good. Right. Right. Shall we go over that again? If yeah. God settles it, that's. If God says it, that settles it. That's yeah. the final word. You don't have to believe it. How many know there is a hell, whether you believe it or not? Yeah. Because God said it. That settles it. Whenever, whenever we take the word of God and understand that in the sovereignty of God. The potter decides what he's going to do with the clay. Yet God has given us a divine tension where man enters into the equation. You can either say yes or no to anything that God says. If you say yes, you're blessed, like the mountains of Ebal and Gerizim. One is a blessing, one is a cursing. You can either say yes to one and no to the other. You can either embrace the blessing or you can say no to it and suffer the consequences by your will. Right. Another theological point you need to understand is God will never take away your will. Never. If you can no longer will, you're dead. Satan wants to control your will. God will never do it. Wow. Satan moves from the outside in. God moves from the inside out. God starts with your spirit and goes out. Satan starts with the outside facade and moves in. Mm -hmm. Everything he does is fraudulent. Everything he does is opposite of God. Mm -hmm. So whenever we understand that if you remove the tension, it is no longer scriptural. And we'll get to to another major scripture on this uh, as we go through the book of Acts. You can't remove the tension. You cannot remove the tension. I still have to say yes to what God has determined to finish the equation. Now, whenever you understand the resurrection, did you know that Jesus was already born a son of God before he became a son of God? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. He, was already, he was born the son of God, right? Mm-hmm. The angel said, he's the son of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 to 35, he's the son of God. But he was declared to be the son of God, Romans 1, 4, by the resurrection from the dead. What does it mean? It means that I'm a son of my dad, Samuel Titus. I'm a son before I ever come into maturity. But when I become into maturity, I'm a son, no longer a child. So I was born a son, but there is maturity demanded for sonship. I know this sounds a little complicated, but understand, you can be a child of God, and God waits for 40 years for you to grow up. And until you grow up, He's not going to give you the keys to the car. So He was already a son, but because of obedience, He was declared, through His obedience, He was then declared, He's always the son. But their sonship does not occur until you say yes to God and come into maturity. That's why you can see... People that have spent 30, 40 years as a Christian, they never grew up because they have never been willing to be discipled. And if you're unwilling to be discipled, you'll forever stay a child. And God will not share His authority with you. You can try it. You can use His name, but He won't say amen to it until you decide to embrace the fire, embrace the discipline, and grow up, even though you're a child, you remain Even though you're a son, you remain a child until you begin to walk in obedience. And then he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead because he went all the way to the cross. When he said, it's finished, the Father said, okay, exaltation. So he went from exaltation to exaltation with a span of obedience. For 30 years, it records nothing of the miraculous in the life of Jesus. Not one miracle until the time that all through that training as a son until he came into maturity and then God began to release on the day of his anointing and the day of his baptism God began to release the anointing of the holy spirit on his life because he had to be made like a man Hebrews 2:14 and always Hebrews 2:10 12 and 14 and always he had to become like us so though he was a son he had to become to a son through obedience so he was declared to be a son. I don't even know where I am right now. <clears throat> Let, going back to the point that I got off on, and that is, um, mm, I don't know the point. Okay. God has made him both Lord. He was already Lord. The Disciples called him Lord. But God made him Lord and Messiah, the anointed one, by his resurrection from the dead. Let all the house of Israel know he is Lord and he is Christ. So going back to the Old Testament, the Yahweh of the Old Testament is the Lord of the New Testament. Verse number 41, 3,000 souls, suke, were added to the church. Why does it call him souls? Ah... Oh. Why does it call him soul suke? We are body, soma, suke, soul, and that involves also our heart, and we're spirit. God doesn't save your soul, he saves your spirit, but it is your soul that believes into salvation. How many know that you need your brain to get saved? Because <laughs> you have to believe that Jesus died and rose again. Can I stop one more point here? Because I know these are little extrapolations and divergent thoughts. But I believe anytime you lead somebody to the Lord, don't just say a sinner's prayer that they repeat. Have them pray for themselves. They must confess. We got people praying quietly that never get changed. Uh They must confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. They must believe in their heart, part of their suke, cardia. They must believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead. So we have all of these people that come Sunday after Sunday getting saved, but they never said, I'm a sinner. Well, how can you get saved if you're not a sinner? Because he only came to save sinners. They need to be able to, with their mouth, confess Jesus is Lord, with themselves praying out loud to break the bondage that's on the inside of them. How many know sin has to come out the same way it came in? <laughs> Through your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Confess it. Peter said, Repent, Metanoia. Change your mind. It cannot just be quiet. Did you say in your heart? Well, then confess it with your mouth. He said, if you don't confess it, I'm not gonna, my father's not gonna hear it, and the angels aren't gonna hear it. Unless you confess me before men, I will not confess you before the father or the angels. That's right. I, I am I'm, I'm sorry to just bear down on this point, but I've seen too many people that okay, you're saved now. <laughs> but they never out of their mouth ever confess Jesus. Just pray my prayer. Well, my prayer is my prayer. Then I will hear people say, Well, I don't know what to say. I say, Tell God you don't know what to say. He'll take anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I just don't know. Good, tell him you don't know. <laughs> well, I've got so many sins, yeah. Tell him. <laughs> Anything that comes out of your mouth becomes part of the freeing process that sets you free from the demonic activity. It's got to come out of your mouth. Speak it out of your mouth. Whatever it is, say it. Okay, verse 41, 3,000 souls. 42, the description of the early church that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Those four things are very major. Verse number 47, the Lord added to their number. I I have a conviction that is totally at odds with our current megachurch mentality. I don't believe you get people saved. I believe Jesus does. And I believe after people get saved, he needs to add them to the church. The Bible says he added them to the church. So it's not a matter of they just got saved. There is a corporate fellowship somewhere that God will connect them to that you cannot really grow without the family. Is that right? right? God will put you in a family setting. You need your family setting to grow. Mm-hmm. You need a point that you can say, "That's my home." Yes. You need that, so that Lord added them to the family. Those that were being saved. Yes. Notice they were two different things. Yeah. And there are some people. I wanted. I remember one guy. I wanted him in my church so badly. I I sculpted my. I I. I uh, formed my sermon to snare this guy so I wanted him to be part of my church because I was so impressed with the guy. This was the biggest louse I've ever seen in my life. I later found out this guy is a crook. He's a complete facade. He took me flying in his airplane and then I discovered he didn't even have a license to fly. <laughs> wow. we we're flying over the mountains of Washington State and he's saying, do you recognize he's? And I think he's kidding me and he's not kidding. He's a liar. He, and I tried to, and my sermon was so horrible. The Holy Spirit didn't like my my sermon. Nobody else did, and he didn't. It didn't catch their family, thank God. They were not added to the church by the Holy Spirit. They were me trying to do it. Wow. How many don't, don't try to get people because you're impressed with them. For sure. Is that right? right? How many know let the Holy Spirit bring them in? Yeah. Because God says that, Jesus said, I sent out the invitation. They wouldn't come in, Matthews. He said, one of his parables, he said, Uh he said, I sent out the invitation. They wouldn't come in. So I just went to the highways and the hedges and the byways and let the riffraff come in. Because the people who were called did not come in. And then some came in without robes on. He said, you know, let the Lord add to the church. Don't you try to do it. You just mess up everything. And then you try to get them cleaned up and let the Holy Spirit do that. Come on, come on, come on. Okay, chapter 3, I can cover a few more points. They're on their way to pray when they give the name of Jesus, leaping up, leaping up verse here. The only other time it is quoted in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint or in the New Testament. It's here, verse 8, and it's in Isaiah 35, 6. For God says in the kingdom age, people are going to be leaping up. The lame are going to leap up. That's one of the promises. That's one of the promises. That's why it said he leapt up, because God is saying the kingdom has arrived. And the kingdom has arrived. People just jump up. You don't have to try to say, oh, you know, it's just gradual. It's just gradual. Just keep on believing God. You know, I know the pain is going to get less and less and less. The Bible says he leapt up. Paralyzed man, he leapt up. I'm not against... Gradual healing. Praise God for any healing. But if it's going to be a kingdom-oriented healing, he will leap up. <laughs> Chapter 4, the number of the men came to 5,000, not including women and children. So you can say, like the feeding of the 5,000, if there's 5,000 men, there's at least 25,000 people there. So let me change your terminology and especially your mental picture. Jesus didn't feed 5,000 people. He fed at least 25,000 people. So let's change our vocabulary. Say, whenever Jesus fed the at least 25,000 people, so you understand how massive the miracle was. Massive. 5,000 are saved, not including the women and the children. They had always had more than two children in Jesus' day. They had large families, as you know from the patriarchs. Large families. Masses of people were getting saved. Masses of people were getting saved. I, I wanna I wanna share this. I don't believe the age of the megachurch has arrived yet. Amen. Until the mega church reaches the city. I don't believe the megachurch has arrived. I don't care the size of the building. I, I believe until we're filling stadiums, until you can't you can't hold the people anywhere. Just look at this within two weeks. Within two weeks, you could never have held the crowd. We can add up. We could add up thirty thousand people in just the first two weeks. You filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching, and here's something else to know: that whenever the people came from all of these nations on the day of Pentecost, they didn't go home immediately. So you had a real problem on your hands. What if God were to send revival to Baldwin Park, which is East LA? We're talking about millions of people came for a specific festival and in East L.A., and then the Holy Spirit fell and they said, we're not going home. That's the problem they had. That's why they had a problem getting enough food to everybody. That's a problem. Whenever revival hits, you got a problem. <laughs> you got a problem. you got a big problem. Do you want revival? One of the young men that, that was killed on a motorcycle here, They were all standing around his body for hours and hours and hours and days praying for him to be raised from the dead. I said, I just want you to be aware of the fact you're going to have a real problem if God raises him from the dead. Number one, you're going to have a problem with the media. They will never let you alone because they will be camped on your doorstep day and night wanting to know how you did it and wanting to have you perform another raising of the dead. And then everybody who's died in the whole nation is going to contact you to see if you can do it again. I said, I just want you to be prepared for when the dead are raised by you. I just want you to understand if it is not in the context of revival, we're talking about major weirdness. That's right. yeah. Yeah. But when true revival happens, there's going to be major problems. What do you do? What do you do when the masses come in two weeks? In two weeks, 30,000 people have been born again. What do you do? Because everything then begins to, everything, it, it's not a matter of you prepared in advance. It's a matter of now what do we do to accommodate? And that's how the church is built. You can't control it. Amen. Listen to me, leaders, as I travel the globe, the biggest problem among leaders is they try to control. Right. Yeah. They try to control everything. They try to control home groups. So the home group can't be controlled, we're going to cancel them because we've got to control everything. God doesn't want you to control anything. How many know Jesus didn't control one disciple? That's why they all left him at the cross at the Garden of Gethsemane. They all left him. He controlled nobody. It's a love embrace. I trust God to be the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, not me. Jesus, whatever you want to do. I tell him all the time, whatever you want to do, it's your church. It's your church. I'm just here as your servant, but I can tell you what. I don't need to control anybody because there is a spirit that arises in a man and a woman when they can control somebody that is not of God. God has called me to release you, not control you. It is the biggest problem I face globally, globally. And they use tithe to control people. And they use preaching to control people and put them under condemnation. And they use all kinds of gimmicks to control people. What are we going to do? Peter says, these people are healing, and they're not you, Jesus. And he said, if they're not against me, they're for me. Joshua said, what am I going to do? He said, me, dad, and hell, dad, are prophesying everywhere. Moses said, would to God everybody prophesied. Look at the spirit of Moses. Look at the spirit of Jesus. Would to God everybody prophesied. Would to God churches were, well, what if you built a church next to mine? Oh, I wish there was a church there and there and there and there and there and there and there. And there. Well, I wish there were a hundred more churches. Did you know that uh, I talked to a man in, uh, in Russia? I can't remember the name of the city, large industrial city in northern Russia. He was saying, he was saying to me that when he, God called him to the city, God gave him this name, emblazoned it in a vision, and said, you're to go there and start a church. So he went there. There were a couple of Pentecostal churches there. And they said, no, we can't bless you. These are all that we, ha- these that we don't need anymore they had two churches with a few dozen people and they would not bless that man to start a church. This man has a mega church today, thousands and thousands and thousands of people because God says, I want to bless you. These men may not, but I want to bless you. All authority has been given for you to release. If you use it to control, God will take it away. God has called you to release, 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 release. No controlling spirit in the body of Christ. No No controlling spirit in the body of Christ. What am I afraid of? I had a guy say to me, as my music director, he said, I I really believe God's calling me to go start a worship ministry in that church. I said, go. Go. You're talented. You're gifted. You're going to bless that church. How come pastors bless people coming in and curse them going out? Oh, God bless you. You're coming into my church. But if you leave my church, you're cursed. And so many pastors curse people. By the way, if you bless them, they're they're likely to come back if they were wrong. If they were wrong, they're likely to come back. But if you cursed them, they'll never be back. You cursed them. Well, what if they started in the spirit of division? I'll bless you anyway. Right. I'm a blesser. I'm not a curser. Right. God will take care of the cursing part. I don't need to do that. How many know if they weren't anointed, God would not bless it? Well, what if they were anointed? So God, God has just got, I don't need to say anymore. <laughs> Solomon Porch is where the crowds are gathered to hear Peter and disciples gathered to pray outside the eastern court of the temple overlooking Kedron. Jesus mentions that in John 23. Chapter 4, the number of the men comes to 5,000. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice this. All the time is continually saying, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, they realized that these men had been with Jesus. Hallelujah. They were astonished at their eloquence and boldness. That's what I want people to say because they were not educated men, they were from Galilee. But they said, you've been with Jesus, we can tell. You have that smell of the great shepherd. Mm-hmm. Again, verse 28, the rulers did what God had previously determined. Uh, is the is the Greek word. Verse 28 to 30, we mentioned in our earlier time, the church prayed for boldness, signs and wonders, and guess what God did? I want to. I want you to come into an awareness of Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. His real name is Joseph, but the church called him. Hey, you're a you're a son of encouragement, Barnabas. Bar the, in the Hebrew is son. <clears throat> you're just a son of encouragement. Wow. And he became that to the Apostle Paul. He was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. You're going to hear him a few more times, and then God dumps him. Not Paul, but God dumps him. Chapter number five, we will begin at our next session. So I want everybody to know that uh, I really, really appreciate your attention to the Word of God. I really appreciate your hunger for the Word of God. You're just like sponges. I need to say something else, by the way, and that is you don't have to agree with anything I say. You better check it out. Seriously, be like the Bereans. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Thessaloniki because they studied the word for themselves to make sure these things are true.